All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode four of season two of the Slightly Above Average Football Podcast. As always, I am joined by my main man and co-host, Thomas Bowen. Bowen, say hello to the people. One week in the books, and it was a good one. I'm really excited to talk about week two. Absolutely. So let's dive right into it very quickly because we do have a lot to cover tonight. Um, Let's talk about one big takeaway, each of us, from week one. There was lots of good things, good ball games going on. I'm going to say my one big takeaway because to me there's a lot of things, but my one big takeaway is right now after week one, Bama looks to be in a class by themselves. Georgia looked very good. Ohio State, who we're going to talk about tonight, looked very good. But Bama seems a level above everybody else. Thomas, first, what do you think about my thought there, and what's your thought for the week? I think you're spot on. You know, every, we, we always like to talk about Bama just reloads. They don't rebuild. But this year is just the perfect definition of that. And they've got the freshman quarterback coming in. Nobody really knew what he would do. A lot of hype behind him, but really lived up to the potential. And this defense is it's hard to say that every year Bama has a defense better than the year before, but I think they've done it again. Absolutely. So what's your big takeaway from what you saw? I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little niche here, and I'm gonna say that Jordan Burst, defensive end for South Carolina, has blazing speed. I had no idea. We knew he was extremely athletic, and what I'm talking about, of course, is his pick six in the South Carolina game, which was in the fourth quarter, mind you. And the the analytics and the and the and the chips and all the zip zorps that they use that, that track all the player analytics. Apparently, he he topped out at 20.45 miles per hour on that run which is insane and if you want to do some further math on that that means a top end speed of like a 4.0940 of course i'm not saying he can run a four flat 40 but that just talk, tells you what kind of athleticism and speed that guy has to be such a big guy yeah absolutely he was motoring shades of melvin ingram at georgia on the punt return uh or excuse me the p- fake punt the fake punt that he scored on uh with the famous gif of the uh georgia bulldog mascot shaking his head holding the surrender cobra sign there so, so, uh, you know, hopefully maybe in a week we can pull off that major upset. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So we're going to dive into Carolina ECU. This is in Greenville, North Carolina. Bone, before we talk X's and O's, um, just a little touch for a second here on the line. This line has been completely insane. Opened at Carolina minus two and a half. Went to ECU minus four. Got all the way down to even, and the last I saw it, it feels like a uh, stocks ticker and the fact that you need to check it minute by minute was Carolina was now the favorite by two and a half. Yeah, and uh, I think even the over-under came out at 55, 55 and a half, and it went up to 60, and then it was back down to 55 or back up to 58. I firmly believe that this was somebody that was maybe a little too hungover 
two hungover on Sunday, maybe a typo. That was just uh, that's the wackiest move I've seen on a line in a long time. Yeah, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, and it, I've never seen a line ever bounce as much as that did, and and just continuously. I've seen it sway one way or the other once bets come in, but to see it just completely sway back and forth was was kind of crazy. So anyway, let's get into what we really like to talk about here at the slightly above average football fan podcast, and that's X's and O's. South Carolina's offense. We've been saying it now for um, an entire preseason and fall camp that we it was the ultimate X factor. We really didn't know what we were going to see. What we saw was a lot of interesting things, a lot of different formations, you know, under center, shotgun, two back, one back, two tight end, tight end wing. It was interesting to say the least. I love the creativity as a Gamecock fan. As a football nut, I really love it because you don't seem to have a system. You have a lot of smoke and mirrors. One of my football coaching heroes, the guy who was the head coach of the football team I played on in high school, Coach Doc Davis. Forgive me, Coach, for calling you by your first name. Please don't let me make me run hills. Um, used to say that the best offense are all smoke and mirrors, and it's all different. It's all different formations with the same base play. It just looks slightly different because you're lined up different. I, I feel like I saw a lot of that on Saturday from the Gamecocks. Zeb, our man Zeb Nolan, GA to QB1. You know, he looked like you would expect a guy with his level of experience, his level of um, knowledge of the playbook would look like in a starting quarterback role. He distributed the ball well. He moved formations. He adjusted. He audibled. It was that he was that quarterback on the field, excuse me, coach on the field at quarterback, ended up throwing for four touchdowns. Of course, he didn't play the entire game, but really, uh, you know, there was question of, of what can Zeb do? How much of a change is this going to be? I really was impressed with what he looked like. Um, I, I heard Coach Satterfield talk about how the moment was not too big for him and the speed was not too fast for him, and that's all you can ask for in that situation. So I was very happy with that. Loved how the tight ends were being used in a verse way it was it was just a, a lot of fun on the passing game you know nothing super flashy there was a big shot on the second play of the game I believe that was to Brown on a play action threw it a little long got on his hands to me that's a catchable ball uh, I'd always argue that if it touches your hands you ought to catch it but you know I, I liked it I liked what we were doing there good creativity on the running side of the game up front. You know, a lot has been made of this. I made a lot of it uh, as I was watching the game, as I was texting with friends and and, and whatnot. I was underwhelmed by our offenses, uh, especially our offensive lines, running game, particularly early in the game. Granted, later we did have some long runs, uh, but, you know, I saw a, a a variety of different running styles. You saw inside zone. You saw outside zone. You saw some counter. You saw some different motions. One play that I really like seeing in the run game is a play known as duo. Duo for our football junkies out there who maybe don't know as much about terminology is essentially at the end of the day what you're trying to do is the center and guard to the play side and the guard and the tackle to the back side. Oh, I'm sorry. I said that backwards. Center and guard to the back side, guard and tackle to the front side are going to try and get two double teams and get move up to linebacker. That's the duo. That's the duo movement. And it's also called duo in some cases because there's basically two holes for the 
for the running back to go in. As they secure those two uh, double-team blocks, they're going to move up to the Sam and Will linebacker, the strong and weak linebacker, and usually, believe it or not, leave that middle linebacker unblocked, and wherever he goes, the running back's going to fill the other gap, and it can be potentially in the right situation running back to the house and Carolina ran that a few times had some success doing it really had a lot of success last year running duo under Mike Bobo with Kevin Harrison there so interesting to see you know Thomas my thing is offensive line play you know was something I'm obviously very keen on and, and whatnot not to say by any means I'm an expert but I certainly watch it more than the average fan having played the position it felt like we were sliding off blocks a little bit there was some footwork issues we were getting a little tall and I'm sure that sort of thing is going to get cleaned up as we move into week two um you know on the strong side of the running game you know Zaquandre White was a man a man out there and continued his strong performance from what we saw in the spring game for South Carolina back in the spring really just great runner um good balance good vision Good burst. And, you know, Marshawn Lloyd, who made his debut as a Gamecock, he had some good moments. He's still, I think, knocking some rust off. He said he felt good and he was making cuts he's always been able to make, which is a good sign when you have a guy who's coming back from a knee injury. And so I'm excited about what we have in those two players. And, of course, Kevin Harris, reigning SEC rushing leader in the regular season last year in 10 SEC games. He rushed for over 1,000 yards. It is my understanding from what we hear and read and see online, he will be back in the rotation this game against ECU. Also, of course, big news, uh, Luke Doty is seeming to be trending towards I would say getting some playing time. Um, I, I, I don't know if he'll start. I don't know if he doesn't start. It doesn't mean we won't see him. I think you know there's there's two sides to this coin. You want to keep him healthy and wait till he's 100%, but you also don't want him coming into Georgia in Athens and that being the first game action he's seen this season. Let's get him moving around. Let's get him in a live action situation with some crowd noise and give him some of that experience. And, you know, hopefully, and we'll talk about our keys to winning the game here in a little while, hopefully Carolina is in a position where he doesn't have to play the entire game and Zeb's proving what he can do and, and maybe he can carry us the rest of the way. Whatever the case may be. Final thing on Carolina's offense. Fantastic to see. Fantastic to see Josh Van out there running around, running good routes, catching the ball cleanly with his hands. It was just a good, great thing to see from Josh. He's a hardworking guy from what we've all read and seen. Has had difficulties with consistency in his career. Really, really impressive on the first Saturday night of week one for the Gamecocks. Thomas, I'll let you get into ECU's defense, but what are your you know brief thought or two there on what Carolina was doing on Saturday night on offense? Yeah, I completely agree with you uh, on Zeb. You know, for, for me, it, it wasn't fantastic. It was fine. It, it was what we needed. Uh, he took care of the ball, took care of the offense. Uh, Quandre White, again, as you said, that man runs like he's possessed, and he's always downhill, and he looks like every time somebody's coming up to tackle him, he wants to take the hit to that defender, which I really like out of a running back. So I was really excited about a lot of things on the offensive side. Very good. Tell us a little bit about what the Gamecocks will face when they go into Greenville, North Carolina on Saturday and the ECU defense is across the field from them. 
You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Josh Van on, on the South Carolina offense, and I completely agree. I was really happy to see him bring it all together, and I think this Saturday is going to be a really good matchup for him. He's probably going to be matched up on uh, definitely East Carolina's best DB. This is sophomore cornerback Jaquan McMillan, 5'10", 160 pounds. Uh, this guy is ultra quick. He's got great recovery speed. Uh, seven picks in his first two years. Uh, he definitely lived up to his potential last week in their loss to App State. Uh, he brought 10 tackles. He had a pick in that game. Uh, just a really, really heady player, and I think he's going to be matched up most likely with Josh Van for the most part. Um, outside of that, there's not a lot of bright spots on that defense. This is a defense that uh, that struggled a lot last year. Uh, there was a lot of youth on the team. Last year, they allowed almost 450 yards a game, 35 points a game. They are returning 14 of their top 15 tacklers. Um, <clears throat> But, again, we're seeing a lot of the same things, again, just through week one. But against App State, they gave up almost 500 yards, pretty evenly split between passing and rush yards. But the big key stat here that I saw last week was they gave up an average of 6.3 yards per carry. Our running back room that you were just talking about and the depth that we have there, they should be feasting on that. We should not have to throw the ball much this game. Um, we do need to look for up front. You mentioned uh, a, a lot of our offensive linemen against Eastern Illinois sliding off blocks and getting a little push in there and guys kind of squirting through. I'm worried that South Carolina could see a good bit of that from East Carolina. There, There's a lot of youth on that defensive line, a lot of smaller stature. You're going to see a lot of stunts and slants. You, you know, when you've got those those smaller, those undersized defensive linemen, you've got to take every advantage you can get. So you're not just going to you're not just going to try to push that offensive line into the backfield. You're going to take advantage of, of cut lanes and slants and stunts. Um, so we've definitely got to get some of those fundamentals down, uh, or South Carolina does, for their offensive line standpoint, because you're going to see a lot of that from ECU. Um, Finally, really, what I would like to say is East Carolina, again, they've got to do better at stopping the run. That was their downfall last year. They showed it again against App State. South Carolina should be able to run this ball very heavily against them and pick up a lot of yards. Uh, they did like to bring a lot of pressure from all over. It's almost kind of like a kitchen sink approach, and they're throwing whatever they can and see, see what happens. I think there may be some times where we're going to have to keep a running back in to block in the backfield. Um, I did see Zaquandre White in the backfield a lot blocking, did a great job holding off linebackers, so I think we could we could see a lot more of that in this game um, as they bring pressure from all over. But bottom line is South Carolina should be able to impose their will on the ground against this defense. Okay, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I, I watched the App State game. I agree with you. Not a huge standout on defense there. Their, their corner you mentioned was, was very strong, but there was a lot of, um, you know, not a lot to jump off the page there. You know, I will say as we go back real quick before we talk about our keys to the game and I talk a little bit about East Carolina's offense and then Thomas talks about South Carolina's defense. Um, Carolina's offensive line, you know, they were facing seven, eight-man boxes. Um, guys were coming. They were filling gaps. We'll probably see a lot of the same thing uh, at East Carolina. They, they're going to want to, South Carolina to prove they can throw the ball on them. And until if it's Luke Doty, if it's Zeb Nolan, until the Gamecock offense can prove on a, on a consistent basis that is what they can do. They can make you pay for having all those guys up by the line of scrimmage. They're going to see a lot of that. So moving into East Carolina's offense, this is a shotgun 
slash pistol-based offense. Everybody, mostly, I'm imagining who's listening to this right now, knows what a shotgun is uh, in, in football. The quarterback is back from the center. He is not under center. He's five-ish, three-ish yards back. The pistol is just a little shorter of the shotgun stance, which is why they call it the pistol on the shotgun. It's, you know, football coaches think they're cute like that. So the shotgun's a little bit further back, so a pistol's shorter than a shotgun, so the quarterback's just a little bit closer to the center. But the reason for that is they can put the tailback behind the quarterback, which opens up a lot of different angles and movement. The other thing East Carolina likes to do is when they are in the shotgun, and I've seen a lot of teams doing this recently, when they have a tailback offset to the quarterback's left or right, they are really staggering him to where his heel, excuse me, his toes are on the quarterback's heels. That gives the quarterback and the tailback this what we call the ball point or relationship zone where he can step across him more naturally and the quarterback can ride that play like on a zone read or, or something along those lines, which they like to do a little bit of um, at East Carolina. So, you know, you're going to see mostly um, back from center, one back. Um, you know, interesting thing here, offensive coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick is a former South Carolina coach from 1989 to 1992. Um, he was the quarterback coach and recruiting coordinator, Coach Todd Ellis, and our good friend, Mr. Fuller, at quarterback. Fuller wore 20, didn't he? I think that's right. Yeah, he was one of those guys who like to be creative and wear a different number that you, you don't see quarterbacks wear very often. So there's a Carolina connection for you. So this offense is very based on running the ball inside outside zone RPO which is run pass option again for our, our fans out there that are wondering what that means you hear it at parties all the time and you nod your head oh yeah the RPO game the RPO game what is that run pass option I just talked about the quarterback kind of riding the running back basically holding the ball into his stomach and looking at the defense in this situation on RPO he's looking at a linebacker or possibly a cornerback to see how he's reacting if he stays back he's going to pull the ball out and throw a quick pass if he comes I'm sorry other way around if he comes charging up he's going to pull the ball up and throw it to a wide receiver or tight end if he sits back and hesitates he's going to go ahead and give it to the running back to carry out that run Um, another thing this offense is big on is getting the ball to players in space Keenan Mitchell number 25 their running back uh, against App State he was in the screen game he was getting swing passes out of the backfield he was doing everything they want to get him and anyone else on their offense the ball in space. That's what they're big in. You can tell a big philosophical point for this offense is get the ball to our playmakers and let them make a move and and make something happen. Last year, this offense was ranked 97th in the country. Not anything that's going to blow you away automatically, but they are still building. Coach Kirkpatrick came with new head coach, um, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Houston from James Madison, where while they were at James Madison, they won an FCS national championship. Um, quarterback Holton, is it Ayler Thomas? You're right. I nailed it. I'm getting so much better. I'm practicing. Ehlers. Ehlers. See, I, I got braggy. Um, <laughs> so he is a dual threat. He can run. His arm strength, to me, I've only seen him play one game, to be perfectly honest, but his arm strength seemed questionable on long throws. But uh, Coach Shane Beamer mentioned today or, or yesterday during a press conference, 
that while he was at Georgia, if Georgia had not gotten the commit from Justin Fields, who obviously ended up transferring to Ohio State, but if they had not gotten the commit from Justin Fields, they would have taken this player to bring in as a dual threat player. So this is someone that has some some things you have to be concerned about on offense if you're the South Carolina defense. Ultimately, it's going to be you know a game of getting the ball in space and Carolina making South Carolina making tackles. Talk to us about the Carolina defense, Thomas. What you saw last week, what you expect to see this week. Yeah, you know, I think what, one of the big things this week uh, you just talked about it with uh, quarterback Ehlers for East Carolina. Um, he does have some wheels on him. He can move. I think we're going to see. Um, uh, we may see some spy this week, um, and uh, just just as a little bit of background, if you anytime a defense is spying a player, it's going to be one player. They're going to have one person, one player on that defense that drops back a little bit and spies that player, goes to wherever he goes, and that's usually, of course, ninety nine percent of the time is going to be the quarterback. You're going to be spying the quarterback, which is used when you have a lot of mobile quarterbacks. You worry about that pocket breaking down when there's good coverage on the back end, and you want to be able to pick him up and space whenever he's moving around uh we definitely south carolina definitely has the personnel to to spy a running quarterback um so i think you're going to see a little bit of that you're going to see a lot of pressure on him too again um if the back end defense of south carolina if the secondary can hold up against their wide receivers which i i have no doubt that they can is that uh, I think you're going to see a lot of coverage sacks as well. South Carolina defensive front showed the ability, again, Eastern Illinois, a different opponent here, but still they showed the ability to be creative with the stunts, with the blitz, come from different angles. I liked a lot of the creativity from that side, and I think that South Carolina is going to throw a lot at this quarterback. Again, he is a veteran guy. He's a smart guy. He knows the system very well, but I think that South Carolina is going to try to rattle him. They're going to bring a lot of pressure from different angles, and but they've really got to contain him as well and not let him get loose because those big chunk plays can hurt you. I totally agree with you, and I'll tell you the thing I liked the most out of the South Carolina defense, obviously the pick six was a thing of beauty. Um, Just really, really impressed with how we tackled, and then also not seeing massive cushions given to wide receivers, that whole keep it in front of you mentality. Granted, Eastern Illinois... No disrespect. Didn't I'm sure we did not feel they could burn us over the top. And I, I don't know that East Carolina has the guys to do the same with us. But I, I feel like that's a philosophical difference in our new defense with Coach White. And we're going to do a little bit more matchup zone instead of that drop to a spot stuff. All right, let's talk about keys to win the game. South Carolina, my two keys I've, I've, I've really kind of hit on already. Getting movement in the run game. That line's got to do a better job of running their feet, keeping their hands on the defender's um, frame, getting those feet wide, chop, 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 and drive, drive, drive. That's going to be very important. Um, And then finally, tackling in space. Uh, I mentioned it a minute ago. ECU wants to get their playmakers the ball in space, in the flat, close to the line of scrimmage, and then let them wiggle and let them go ahead and make a big run. They're counting on you missing a tackle. They're counting on them being more athletic than you. you got to break down make a good tackle if we're going to see South Carolina win this game. Thomas, what are your thoughts on South Carolina wins? Uh, number one, again, they've got to they've got to contain East Carolina's quarterback. <clears throat> Mobile guy can't let can't let him beat them with his legs. But number two, 
I mentioned earlier that East Carolina likes to bring a lot of pressure from all over the place, kind of that kitchen sink. You've got to slow down that defense. And I know uh, with Coach Kimry on staff, and I, I believe Skip Holtz was a big fan of this, is the SDD. Uh, I heard this earlier today. It's uh, screens, delays, and draws. That's exactly how you slow down an aggressive, over-pursuing defense. So I think you could see a lot of screens, delays, and draws to kind of soften up that defense from South Carolina. I hear it. I hear it. All right, so two things for East Carolina to win the game here. I think I just mentioned this, but obviously it's the exact opposite. they got to make big plays after they make a catch. Um, that old idea of yak, yards after catch, yards after carry. How can they extend on South Carolina? they gotta, they got to make big plays, and South Carolina's got to miss tackles. And then the biggest part to me is going to be um, how can East Carolina – handle the bigger offensive and defensive line from South Carolina. South Carolina's OL is bigger than ECU's DL. How are they going to handle that? Are they going to get worn out throughout the game dealing with it? And on the same other side of the ball, how can their offensive line handle Carolina's front four, which quite honestly looked very impressive in week one, different opponent, different level, but still looked pretty good. Thomas, what does East Carolina need to do to win this game? Real simple. It starts in the trenches. They got to stop the run. They, they've had trouble with it all last year. It doesn't seem to be really fixed this year. So that's number one. They got to stop stop the run. And number two is just play smart football and not turn the ball over. If they start turning the ball over earlier, it's going to get bad early. And they've got to be able to keep that home crowd into it that we know is going to be so fired up. Absolutely. All right, Thomas, very, very quickly so we can move right along. Uh, I think we both feel like South Carolina is the winner here. Um, You know, I I don't think it's a blowout by any means, but I also don't think it's as close as the line is predicting right now. Yeah, I think we're looking at uh, if if South Carolina plays the way they should, then they should be – you know, seven, maybe 14 points. Very good. All right, moving on to our next game we'll be covering today, South Carolina State versus Clemson. Um, you know, Clemson, I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast watched that Clemson game. It was the biggest game um, that night. Um, you know, I had two TVs in my house because I wanted to have the Gamecocks and the Tigers both on. Um, you know, that offense didn't show out the way that they had hoped or they didn't reload as they have in the past. Offensive line struggled to block Georgia's defensive line. I think that's got as much to do with Georgia the defensive line as anything, but they'll find out. Luckily for Clemson, they've got two weeks here. Uh, one here with South Carolina State and two next week with Georgia Tech, a bad Georgia Tech team that lost to Northern Illinois um, early last week. So they got two weeks to get their, their minds right. All respect to South Carolina State. Former quarterback, former South Carolina running back coach Buddy Pugh has been there for quite a while now and has done a good job with that program. Offensive coordinator and quarterback coach is Bennett Swaggart from South Carolina as well, former quarterback. And on the offensive line, they have Nishad um, Goodard, or Goddard. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. He is a former Carolina offensive lineman and NFL offensive lineman and two-time Super Bowl. So they are a well-coached team. I just think it's going to come down to the Jimmies and the Joes here. I think Clemson, obviously at home, is really going to look to bounce back and be very focused for this game. Thomas, what are your thoughts? Did you say that Bennett Swigert, former South Carolina quarterback, is on staff at SC State? Is that correct? That is correct. He is the offensive coordinator and QB coach. 
I think he is, um, he's one of the few people I know that has had more reconstructive knee surgeries than Kevin Maloney, the all-star DB at PC. Shout out Kevin Maloney with the knee injuries, but you are correct about that, I believe. Um, so yeah, they, they, he is there. They run a little bit of run and shoot. Um, I think again, and this isn't just because they're former Gamecocks. These guys are good football coaches, lots of experience. I just think it's going to be a matter of, of Jimmy's and Joe's, so to speak. And I think South Carolina state can have a good year this year they played Alabama A&T I believe it was to one point game on week one which that that Alabama A&T team is thought of very highly in the MEAC so I am not uh, saying that South Carolina State's a bad football team by any means I just think they're going to be a little outmatched here yeah and you're right and again you know all due respect to SE State, but this the, the Clemson defense again. Looking back at the Georgia game from last week, which the game was amazing. Of course, it's it's not every week you get to see a defensive slugfest like that. No offensive touchdowns in the game. Uh, Georgia's only touchdown came on that pick six. But if you look at the stat line, Clemson defensively played a good game. Gave up 256 yards, only 135 passing, 121 rushing. Got a fumble, got a pick. They held Georgia and that and Georgia's fantastic rushing attack to 3.9 yards a carry. Now, uh, this is a perfect example. This game is where sometimes, sometimes defense won't always win it for you. You got to have a little bit of offense. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised at the lack of offensive production there. We talked last week about Georgia's defensive front, uh, particularly Jordan Davis at the nose tackle, and that guy made himself a lot of money on Saturday night. Um, he just looked phenomenal every bit of the part. He was living in the backfield. Um, DJ Uyunglele, quarterback for Clemson, was a little shaky, um, you know, whether it had to do with the pressure he was facing all night, uh, the fact they couldn't get a run game going. I don't know, but I, I think it, it, I'll be curious to see how he bounces back. This is certainly a bounce-back game for him. Um, I look for him to probably not play much in the second half of this game. Um, again, Clemson's going to come out, and Clemson's going to do Clemson, and this is probably going to be like a 45-6 to six type game. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, I, You know, listen, uh, South Carolina State, go out there, go pull an App State in Michigan uh, in the big house several years ago and, and get you that win. And, if, and no one's counting you out, but it does feel a little lopsided here. All right, that brings us to our game of the week um, with Oregon and Ohio State. And so I'm going to start us off talking about Ohio State, excuse me, Oregon's offense. So this is not the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks. Shout out to Coach Kelly, however, for having his UCLA Bruins 2 0 after beating LSU in their second game of the season. And even though they were wearing, uh, I believe, Coach Ogeron called them sissy blue shirts. They uh, still took that W and gave LSU that L. So this isn't that offense. It's not going to be to play as fast as possible and and all of that. They do like to spread the spread it around. There's a debate. I did some research today um, on some different sites for Oregon football, and there's a debate and, and a pushback right now in Oregon in Eugene about the fact that are they a spread team or are they a pistol team? And you know. Some of the fans think that the pistol offense, and we can talk about this at another time, is a little bit uh, predictable. 
and can lead to the defense being able to pick up on what you're doing a little bit faster. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but they do have a new offensive coordinator from last year, the second year now, Joe Morehouse, um, and he is a creative coach, has done some things. Uh, you know, obviously, I got to be honest with you, Thomas. Um, the biggest thing I would be worried about here if I'm Oregon is quite simply Fresno State gave you a heck of a ball game in week one. And there were some mistakes made, some blown assignments. They want to run the football. They want to establish the run. This is a team that if this was the 90s, they'd probably play some eye football, but that's not who, we, who how we play ball anymore as much. And they're going to spread you out, but they still want to run the ball. And they want to run the ball between the tackles. And uh, you know, I'll let you hit on the OSU uh, defense because I don't know if Oregon's got the horses for that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. This this Ohio State defense is another one that is uh, is is good. They're they're real. They're 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 a really solid unit right now. I think they're still a lot like Georgia's back end defense. They're going to get better as the year goes on. Uh, there's a ton of talent on this defense. Um, DC Kerry Coons, I believe this is year two for him. Um, so against Minnesota last week, you know they still uh, as. As an Ohio State fan, you're going to be a little bit nerve-wracked over this. They gave up 400 yards. Uh, they did get two fumbles. But you got to look at the talent that they had over there, and they were breaking in a lot of new guys, breaking in seven new starters. Three of those were DBs, two defensive linemen, two linebackers, all new starters. <clears throat> um, and the, one of the things that, that Minnesota did really well against Ohio State's defense last week was using a lot of extra personnel, unbalanced formations to confuse the youth on that defense. And I think that's what kind of got them out of position a lot. Um, they definitely corrected that in the second half. Um, so don't I don't see a lot of that happening in this game as well. Uh, they tend to fix things. Um, run a lot of man coverage with a single high safety, as we talked about before. You know, you've got one deep back there. That's your last lifeline. Um, they had a lot of issues last week with missed tackles and bad angles. But, again, they, they got better as the game went on and started started taking better angles, better tackles there. But regardless, the, the defensive line here in this game should be licking their chops. So you're talking about that Oregon offensive line that was dominated, as you mentioned, by Fresno State, giving up a pair of sacks. I think there were eight tackles for loss given up in that game. Um, so I, I definitely think that, yeah, Oregon's offense isn't going to have much for this defense, and I think this could be uh, a pretty low-scored and defensive game, at least on the Ohio State side of the ball. I agree with you, and uh, you know, you talked about um, Ohio State fans. Uh, shout out to my father-in-law, Todd Ottberger, to big Ohio State fan. And when he and I've talked about this Ohio State season, he's mentioned, as you just did, that you know their biggest concern and, and and their biggest need for you know to see where they are or how they develop is in that secondary. That defensive secondary is going to get tested early on um but switching over to the ohio state offense you know this offense is a power spread offense we've talked about that philosophy a lot on this show it is the essentially still the brainchild of urban meyer um you know urban meyer first started using this system i guess really at bowling green and then utah and florida and and then at ohio state and ryan day has continued using this system they are going to spread you out they're going to be mostly in the gun but they will show you some two 
back and uh, a tight end and a wing or whatever their personnel may be. Master Teague, their starting running back, is is a really, really top-notch player and, uh, you know, really good running back to go along with a stable of really good running backs. And so it's not going to be... Um, surprising to see Ohio State be Ohio State and run the ball and run it with conviction. C.J. Shroud, their freshman quarterback, is a runner as well. Dual threat guy, that is a big part of that offense. That is who they recruit. That is who they are looking for. One of the things in Minnesota, he started off um, relatively hot, but then went cold pretty quick in the passing game, and really they had to rely on that running game and that defense. But he did come on and, and kind of find his groove again. I will say, in the second half of the game against Minnesota, he only threw eight passes. So, you know, Coach Beamer um, made a great point at one point when they were asking him early in the preseason in his time at South Carolina about, you know, are you a running team? Are you a passing team? Is it important that you establish the run to win? What he said, and I've never heard it said this way, and I think it's really, really smart. He said, what's important is that you can do what you want to do when you want to do it. So if you want to run the ball to get a first down, you better be able to do it. If you want to pass it, you better be able to do it. So Ohio State, particularly in this game, I, I feel like when they want to run the ball, they can, unless they start doubling, you know, putting guys in the box, all of that stuff, shooting gaps, and then you got to throw it. I think he was, you know, playing in Minnesota, a very jacked up crowd. P.J. Fleck, my man, you know, I know Thomas is a big fan of his. He, um, you know, had the folks up in, in Minnesota fired up for the game. They were rowing the boat, and they were doing all those things, but uh, they came up a little short, but, uh, you know, I, it was a tough matchup for, for a freshman quarterback to come out to. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and and I think, you know, on the other side of the ball from Oregon defense, this is a defense that does not go without Kayvon Thibodeau. This guy is arguably one of the best defensive ends in the country. Um, last week, he left after two drives, but still caused two sacks and a forced fumble. Plays all over the line. He usually lives in the backfield. This guy's phenomenal, um, but he's he's a little questionable for this game. Don't know what his status is. Uh, they really need him on that side of the ball. But Oregon's going to throw a lot of blitzes. Um, they're going to throw a lot of blitzes at this young quarterback for Ohio State. Last week, Ohio State, I believe they ended up adding a little bit more protection for Stroud in the second half. Uh, they could have to do some of that this week because they're going to throw so many blitzes at this kid. They're going to keep in a running back for extra protection back there, bring in another tight end, things like that. Um, but again, this the strength of this defense is Kayvon Thibodeau and linebackers Flo and Sewell. Those guys, the middle of the field, they're just phenomenal in there. I know that, that Day likes to attack the middle of the field, so those guys are going to have a busy day. But I really think that, again, Ohio State just has the horses that Oregon can't keep up with on defense. I'm going to have to agree with you there. I agree. Thibodeau is one of the best defensive ends in the country. I believe he hurt an ankle um, in that first game against Fresno, right? Yeah, as Furrier said, would say he, he's got an ankle. He's got an ankle. He's got one. He, he, watch, see what he can do. We'll see him run around a little bit, see what he can do. So <laughs> it's one of those things um, that, you know, as much as this is our game of the week, it's week two. Um, you know, there were some other games. I All respect to Iowa, Iowa State. We, we gave some consideration to that game as well. But um, I, I just don't know uh, that – 
Oregon's got the horses, but let's start with Oregon um, and say what we think they need to do to win. For me, they got to get the ship right on offense. They got to be able to do some things. You talked about it. Fresno State really, really, really stymied that offensive line for the Ducks. They got to get that right if they're going to have a chance on Saturday against the Buckeyes. And the next thing they're going to have to do is they're going to have to convince. Uh, the fans, the team that Ohio State can throw the ball. They're going to make them throw the ball to win the game early on. I I don't even know if they can stack the box and stop this running attack from Ohio State, but that's what they're going to try, in my opinion. What's Oregon got to do to win here, Thomas? Yeah, I think you're right. And, and a big a big key to, to stopping Ohio State is they got to have Thibodeau healthy. Um, now, again, I don't know if, if – even if he is going to play, we don't know how close to 100% he's going to be, so they really need him. And secondly, they've got to rattle C.J. Stroud. They've really got to get to him with some of that pressure early and rattle him. And I just don't know that that's going to happen, but that's what's got to happen. I agree with you. Okay, for Ohio State to win, I think it is very, very simple. Establish the passing game. They're going to run the ball. They're going to be able to run the ball. They've got to be able to throw it. Third and long happens. You get off schedule. We've talked about that concept before. You got to be able to throw the ball. And honestly, you got to be able on second and third, second and short, second and three, second and four, every once in a while, throw in a play action pass. To keep that defense honest. And so they got to be able to do it. I'm not saying they can't by any stretch of the imagination. C.J. Stroud's a a very good player. Just need to see that from him. And finally, shut down the run. Uh, Oregon does want to run the ball. They are a running team. Um, They want to run the football if they shut down that run, which I I honestly believe they're they're not going to have a whole lot of trouble with. Um, they'll, They'll win this game fairly easily. Yeah, and, um, you know, but again, I mentioned earlier that Ohio State last week, we saw some bad fundamentals in defense and bad tackling. they got to clean that up. You can't have those missed tackles against Oregon, regardless of the woes they've had on offense. They can turn, you know, little dives into big plays if you're not making tackles. Um, and then they've got to protect C.J. Stroud. Um, I think they will, but again, a lot of that hinges on how healthy Thibodeau is and if he's playing, but they've got to protect him and allow them to get that passing game going like you mentioned. Absolutely. It'll be fun to watch, as it always is. There'll be plenty of games that will be uh, that we didn't talk about this week that will be good games as well. Um, but, heck, who is who can say anything other than the fact that we are excited? It is week two of college football. Fans are in the stands. It's loud. There's smoke for 2001. The band's playing. Even Clemson will be running down that hill on Saturday. It's going to be a, a college football Saturday, and it's going to be fun to watch. And I can't wait to do it. Yeah, man. Enjoy watching those buses ride around Memorial Stadium before they run down that hill. It's exciting. (laughs) It's exciting. It really is. Be sure to follow us on social media at at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Be sure to download us, rate and review us, and subscribe. Put out the ratings, put out the reviews. That's how people find out about us, and we get more Slightly Above Average Football fans what they need, which is more football football thomas as always my man great time it was a pleasure everybody enjoy your football weekend